0: Our reading for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Just as. If they were one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honourable, we treat with special honour Every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts.
1: Thanks Alan. Good morning everybody, Um, it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, My name is Matt, I am the Connecting Pastor here at the the Lakes Church and if I haven't met you, I'd love to say good day afterwards or even if I haven't met you, I hope a few of you talk to me afterwards as well. Um, It's my great blessing to be able to open uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with you all today. Um, I want to start by doing something a a little bit different. Uh, I want to talk to you about what I won't be focusing on this morning. Uh, I won't be focusing on the actual spiritual gifts that are mentioned in this chapter. So if you've come here to hear that, then you can head off now. Hopefully you haven't. Uh, And and I'm doing that for two reasons. One is, I think that's where we're going to land over the next few weeks, and I don't want to steal Dave's thunder. But I I think secondly, and, and probably most importantly, I don't want us to get distracted this morning by the actual spiritual gifts because I believe that is exactly what the Corinthian church were doing and I long for us not to fall into that same trap. I I think the thrust of Paul's message this morning is not about the actual spiritual gifts but rather where they come from and how they can be and should be utilised both individually but corporately within God's church. So it would be great if you have 1 Corinthians 12 open. And let's start right at the beginning. That's always a good place to start. Verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There's the purpose of the chapter. Paul says, don't be stupid. This is really, really important. You need to know about these gifts and I'm going to inform you. Now let's remember, Paul's speaking to the church in Corinth and I reckon it'd be kind of me to say that they're a church that's experiencing a lot of trouble. Yeah. They've got a lot of sexual sin in their midst. They're joining in on idol feasts. There's a lot of division in the church. And then Paul's looked internally and he's basically said to him, your worship's in tatters, you've got people turning up and they're getting drunk during the Lord's Supper and some of you are gorging yourselves on food yet your brothers and sisters are starving. And let's compound that challenge that they're already facing with the society they're living in. They are living in a sexually sin-soaked society. Try and say that four times. Try and live in it, I would say. And so, and let's remember, these Corinthians would have been brought up on a staple diet, many of them, of Judaism. Of living under the law. That was tough, but was made even tougher by Pharisees and religious leaders who use their power to push the people even further down. Yet these people have now heard of grace, of your sins all being cleansed, washed away by the blood of Christ. So you no longer live under the law. Wow. And they're living in this society that's so permissive. It's not surprising that the church was experiencing so many issues. And so Paul's just finished saying to them, you need to look out for each other. You need to look out for each other. And now he pushes into that area of spiritual gifting. And, and Paul set up the need for this chapter because I counted up to this chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 20 occasions where Paul has mentioned the Holy Spirit in this chapter. So for new believers, of course they'd be sitting there confused and wondering, we forgot these gifts, what are we meant to do with them? Who are they for? What are they about? Now in in chapter 1, Paul encouraged the Corinthians and, and he said, you don't lack any spiritual gifts. While you're waiting for Jesus to come back, you've got everything you need because the Holy Spirit has gifted you. In chapter 2, he again encouraged them and he reminded them that you have the Spirit of God and that will help you understand. And then in chapter 6, verse 19, he said this to them, if, if, if they are in any doubt whether they'd receive the Holy Spirit or not, he said this to them, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? That is not a verse to tell people to stop smoking. If you've ever used it for that, please don't. (laughs) He's saying to them, the Holy Spirit is in you. Every one of you. And you've received that Spirit from God. But, but, but your behaviour is so consistent with this truth that I'm actually going to treat you as infants. He's called them that, hasn't he? He's called them infants. You are mere infants. But in this chapter, Paul says, no longer. No longer. No longer will you be misinformed. So the purpose of this chapter is for Paul to inform them and us of the spiritual gifts. And in particular, why do they have them and what's the purpose of them? Because they had that askew. So this morning I'm, I'm wanting to cover five areas, three really quickly and then the last two I'll sort of push in a bit more slowly. So what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? Where do spiritual gifts come from? And then how should they view spiritual gifting and how should we view it? And then any other final applications that Paul has to make. So what's the purpose? of spiritual gifts so verses two to to three you know that when you were pagans somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit I reckon these verses are a, a tad challenging to understand but let's Just step back and think about it. So the pagans believed that their gods, small g gods, were able to put curses on other people. So I could use this God to put a curse on you, that rain would not fall on your land. I could put a curse on you, that you would be infertile, that you wouldn't have children. And so they would use gods to put curses on people. Now is Paul saying here that that's happening in the Corinthian church? Where people are using Jesus' name to put curses on other people. That seems to be the case. But here Paul's reminding them that only one led by the Spirit can actually say Jesus is Lord. And, And then they act accordingly where they use their gifts as a blessing to others, not a curse. And and he drives that point home further in in verse 7 where he he says the outworking of the Holy Spirit is there for the the common good. So the Spirit is there for the welfare of others. It's not there to bless others. It's not there to curse others. It is there to bless people. So the purpose of the gifts, well the purpose of the gifts aren't for individual benefit they aren't to make me look good they aren't to curse other people they are there to bless others and they are there for the common good so what what are the spiritual gifts well in verses 4 to 6 Paul uses three different terms When he talks about the gifts. In verse 4, he talks about gifts. In verse 5, he talks about services. And then in verse 6, he talks about workings and activities. And and I reckon by doing this, he's making them really concrete. They're they're demonstrable things. They're things you can see. They're things of benefit. Now, Now later, Paul does go into a list of gifts... But he doesn't go into them too much because, as I've said earlier, I think what he's saying is this is all about how you need to use them and how you need to consider them within the church. But before he does that, Paul reiterates, he he reminds them, where do the gifts come from? Well, the emphasis of verses 7 to 10 are, are, are very much around listing different gifts But as he does that, he uses the same phrase, they are given by, they are given by, they are given by the Holy Spirit. Now Paul's already addressed where the gifts come from in the previous chapters, he said they come from God or they come from the Spirit of God, but now he makes it really, really clear that it is the Holy Spirit, he is the one who distributes the different gifts and that stands to reason because he, he uses the phrase the manifestation of the Spirit. And, and what he means by that is that these, these, these gifts or these events or these workings are a, a clear demonstration of the very real presence of the Holy Spirit working in individuals and working through individuals for the greater benefit of the Church. In verse 11, Paul says, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So whether they're messages of wisdom or healing or prophecy or whether they're teaching or speaking or interpreting tongues, they are all demonstration of the one Spirit same spirit they're not separate spirits they were the one same holy spirit and it is the spirit who determines what each person gets the spirit is the one who determines what the people of god need to carry out his good plans and purposes So let's jump into the media bits of of how should they view spiritual gifting. How should they? Now they know where they come from and what it's about. How should they as a church view it? Verse 7a. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. To each one. We all have gifts. No one is without a gift. We all have gifts no one is without a gift quite a few years ago i worked for a large non-government organization and we ran family relationship services and uh, disability services and men's services and i worked in the the main office and in that main office we employed a, a young person who had a physical and an intellectual disability now let's call that young person michelle Uh, Michelle helped with the general office admin tasks. And uh, one day we had a new chief financial officer starting. And it was my job to show the person around the office, this new chief financial officer. So I showed her around and uh, she met everybody. And at the end of the day, she said to me, she commented to me, and, and I think she did this not in a mean way, but I'd say in a really uninformed way. She said to me, that's nice we employ someone with special needs. And I thought, yeah, you'll see, you'll see. And it wasn't much later, I reckon it was probably about two weeks that this new Chief Financial Officer came to me and she was singing Michelle's praises. Not so much for her office admin tasks, but for the morale that Michelle boosted in our office You see, what Michelle would do is the three days a week she'd come into work, her carer would drop her off early and I I was always the first one in the office and Michelle would come straight to my office and she'd sit down and she'd say, hi. She'd always ask me about how my family are going. She'd ask me what I had on today. And she knew my job was tough and so she'd say to me, are you going to be okay And I'd say, yeah, I'll be all right, Michelle. And she'd go, okay. And she'd wander off and she'd go and do that to the 25 other people in our office. And she'd end the the conversation the same with everybody. She'd put a thumbs up and she'd say, it's okay, God knows. She was pivotal to our organisation, not because of the office admin work, but because of the spirit of joy that she brought with her and encouragement. Brothers and sisters, if you are sitting there today and you are thinking, I've got nothing to give, I couldn't be one of these people up here, I do want to speak to you kindly, but also really clearly today. I want to say, if you are a member of the body of Christ, then you have gifts. And you therefore have a job to do. And I want to say to you, don't dishonour God by withholding. By thinking I have nothing to offer. Because by doing that you are calling God a liar. By holding back you are disadvantaging everybody in the church. Because your gifts are there for the common good. Verse 18 says, but in fact God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Every one of them, even you, in his corporate body. You may be struggling to see how that is given your current circumstance and what you're going through. And my heart Grieves with you if you've got tough times. But you are a member of the body of Christ and you are given gifts. Pray about what they are. Talk to others that you trust around, how can I, what do you see as my gifts? How might I use them? Or how am I currently using them and I'm not seeing it? We all have a function, even you. Here at the lakes... As you've heard, we have specific serving ministries and there are always vacancies. Cleaning, setting up, cooking, hospitality, English as a second language, musicians, growth groups, sound, even our photography team. We have new cameras but not enough people to take photos for us. Kids' church, crèche, all areas of significant need. If you are wanting to step forward into a ministry, please speak with Colin or myself afterwards. And can I say, if you have stepped forward and filled out something and no one's gotten back to you, can I say sorry? Because as a church, we're not perfect and we miss stuff. But be tenacious. Be tenacious in reaching out and in saying, yes, I want to serve because it is the Holy Spirit driving you who's calling you to use those gifts. Even fill out a form and, you know, a piece of paper and drop it in that box. We also need to remember that we serve in more organic ways. I don't know if the Corinthian church has had rosters and teams, I doubt that they did. But they had giftings and they were serving the body of Christ. Getting into a growth group, cooking for someone who needs it, offering a cuppa to a fellow Christian who's struggling encouraging someone with a verse over a text message, or praying for others in your community, they are all valuable use of the gifts that God gives us. Now, how do these gifts all work together? Well, Paul uses that metaphor of the human body. In verses 12 to 14, he says, "...just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts... Form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We are all equal, but different. We are all equal, but different. And what's our commonality? What's that what's common unity? that we have, Paul says we're all baptised with one spirit. Paul, Paul here is making the point but both the existence the existence and the growth of the church they derive from this unity that was established by Christ through the spirit. This growth occurs when each one of us take up our roles and serve corporately. The passage is telling us not only that we have something to offer but it is saying more importantly that we must do this work and we should be so humbled to be called to answer that call. And Paul continues with his human body metaphor as he speaks in verses 15 to 24 and in those he says we are interdependent. In other words, we need to rely on each other. It's not independent, that's when I go off and do my own thing. Interdependent is when I am connected and I rely on others. He says that the different parts belong together and it's ludicrous of them not to act as a body for each of them to play their critical role. I remember when I, uh, in my early days as a psychologist, when I worked out at Mount Druitt, I used to have a drop-in clinic where people would come in and I wouldn't know why they arrived. And this one fellow arrived one day and I said, G'day, how are you, i Matt, and, you know, come on in, sit down, what's, what's brought you here today? And he said to me, well, it's not mine. And I was okay. I'm thinking, okay, what, the car you drove, he was stolen. I didn't have a high view of humanity back then. Uh, And it hasn't increased since then. And I thought, okay, you say you're stuck, and and I went, sorry, I'm not getting what you're meaning. And he said, well, it's not mine. And he pointed across his body, and I thought, I'm still not with you, mate. But eh, I said, okay. And it turned out that uh, he'd woken up a week before, and he felt that his right arm wasn't his that it was some strange alien part of his body and it didn't belong to him. Um, and he'd gone to his GP and he'd asked his GP to um, to cut his arm off, to remove his arm. Turned out that he had uh, a, a thing called body integrity identity disorder. It's quite a, a rare psychological disorder and it's where you actually think one of your limbs is not your own. And... Um, Research has discovered that that the feeling that a limb doesn't belong to the rest of the body, it's linked to some disconnection that occurs within the brain. Now our answer as psychologists is not to sever the limb. Although some do call for that. Our answer is that we need to help the person see that it is part of their body. We need to work on the underlying trauma... We need to address the mistaken ideas that lead to the view that it's not part of their body and we need to help reconnect different parts. Paul is telling them that we are all part of the body. None are inferior, none are superior. We all belong. Sometimes in church, disconnections happen in church life, don't they? We say things we shouldn't. We don't say things we should, we behave poorly. Our job when that happens is not to sever the limb. Our job is not to run away and try and find the perfect church. No. Our job is to work a process of reconciliation where prayer, reflection, support, repentance, forgiveness all play part as we pray for God to work reconnection within us and through us. Now, in the Corinthian church, it seems that some people in the church were saying, well, feet aren't as glamorous as hands. Um, I'm just a foot. What am I? And then they were going, well, I'm an eye. You know, I'm not an ear or I'm a, you know. Because eyes are lovely, aren't they? People go, you've got beautiful eyes. Don't they? They'll often say, wow, that person's got beautiful eyes. Have you ever heard anyone say, wow, that person's got beautiful earlobes? They have the best earlobes. No, you haven't heard that? I've got great earlobes, apparently my wife tells me. (laughs) Maybe, maybe people come to church here and they go, some week, not this week, maybe they go, wow, that was awesome preaching. Or maybe they go, that was a really good cup of coffee made in the... um, in the cafe. I reckon we hardly ever hear people say, wow, that was a well set up morning tea area. How good was it that those disabled parking signs were out in the parking lot this morning? Well done, set up crew. Or do we hear anyone say, how clean was that toilet at the lakes today, yeah? Awesome job cleaners. Or how good was it that we had bulletins today? Bravo, Brenton, thanks for doing the bulletins. Or sound, or many of the behind the scene things. Or how kind was it that that person gave me a smile? Or how awesome was it to see that person sitting with that guy who's currently really struggling? But all of those things are required and more for the body of Christ to function optimally. Paul is reminding them that God created the body of Christ in such a way that each part takes care of the other parts. And let's face it, if if God's the one who brings it together, then it makes sense that he'd be pleased with how it fits and the role that each one of us plays. Paul's message is calling them to embrace diversity embrace their differences as they seek to harmoniously bring it into a unified whole and he cautions them he says don't fall into the trap of comparing and competing because all that will do will bring conflict and it will bring strife and it will bring discord and that was what was happening in Corinth and that happens here sometimes brothers and sisters And when we see it, we need to name it and we need to do something about it. He's calling them to foster interdependence where we all rely on each other to do our part. And that is what serves as a blueprint for the well-being of the body. And then that leads him to his final application in verses 25 to 27. Paul says, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it; if one part is on it, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I reckon the 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 interdependence of the human body can be best shown when we try and sort of deconstruct the human body just. and and look at it in isolation. So stick with me. Have a look at this slide here. What do you reckon that slide represents? Anyone want to have a crack? Ah, look at Bob. That's why he said, see, if you sit up the front, you get all the answers before I give them. The human body, Bob said. So back in 1921, there was an endocrinologist, smart lady by the name of Georgine Luden, and what she did was she tried to estimate the total chemical composition of the average human. And this is what she came up with. You get, seven bar, you get enough fat for seven bars of soap. You get enough iron for a medium-sized nail. You get enough sugar to fill a shaker. You get enough lime to paint a chicken coop. You get enough phosphorus to make 2,000 match heads. You get enough magnesium for a dose of magnesia enough potassium to explode a toy cannon and enough sulphur to rid a dog of fleas and what Georgine did was she worked out the total cost of those ingredients in 1921 were 98 cents and I equated that to today's weight that's $16.50 $16.50 So from one standpoint, with just its parts, the human body is is relatively worthless. But, But when it works together, the human body is a thing of great beauty. Watch an accomplished ballet dancer. The grace, the poise, the finesse. That is us brothers and sisters, when we work together, when we allow his gifts to work through us and amongst us. So what's that mean for us? Well, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher who died in 1892, he preached on this passage and he said this, I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. Now, just quickly, a drone apparently is a bee that does not gather nectar or pollen and can't feed without assistance. Spurgeon said, if there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do no Christian work, there are plenty of places elsewhere where there are empty pews in abundance. Go and fill them, for we do not want you here. They are harsh words from Spurgeon, but he isn't finished. He said, every Christian is either a bee or a wasp. The most quarrelsome people, the wasps, are the most useless. Those who are the most happy and peaceable, the bees, are generally those who are doing most for Christ. I'm going to be bold and say at the Lakes Church, if everyone served and functioned as they are called by God, we would never have to ask for help. Because the Bible tells us that the Spirit will give us everything we need. But we don't. We constantly ask people to step up. Because some refuse to use the gifts that God has given them. Spurgeon also makes a point that is often those who are doing very little. Well, they are the ones who gossip. They are the ones who complain. And they are the ones who backstab. And Spurgeon says in his church, they are not welcome. They are harsh words from Spurgeon. I don't back away from that sentiment. But as your pastor, I want to speak more sensitively to you this morning. I want to start... I want to start by saying you are here. And that is wonderful. Wonderful. Here at the Lakes Church, we often use the metaphor of a lifeboat. Where at one stage or another, we were all lost. In need of saving. Those of us who are on board, we're not a crack team... (laughs) Some of us are still bleeding from the wounds of the world and we continue to bleed. But we are doing our darndest to pull other people on board. And if you are here today and you've not come on board, then jump on board with us. You are welcome. But we will ask you to do some work and help us because we aren't a crack team. But we're more crack team than the best lifeboat team because we're not doing it in our own strength. It is God working through it. It is the Holy Spirit. He has gifted us to reach down and to pull others out of that water. Early in my career, so I want to say if you are broken and bleeding, you can still work. Early in my career, I worked in an inpatient psychiatric clinic for young people And my boss, whom I learnt so much from, was often overheard encouraging young people with mental health problems by saying to them, just because you hear voices in your head doesn't mean you can't make your bed. A required helpfulness of these young people inspired them to commit and to do stuff. For us, even in our brokenness, we are all capable. We are all capable of meeting the call that God's putting on each of our hearts. Because we don't do it in our own strength. We do it because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Can I encourage you to serve where God has placed you? Learn from others. Pray about where God is leading you. Consider your skills, the opportunities and use them. And as you grow and you serve in God's church, your your giftedness that he has blessed you with will blossom and other opportunities will raise and you will step into them as well. And as a motivation to this calling, I want to share to you what I reckon is the theology behind serving that Paul gives in this passage. In verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Play your part, play your part because do you know what it costs for you to be in the body of Christ, the Son of God? left his throne room, stepped down from his throne. He took on the form of a human and he served with great humility. He suffered. He told sinners and misfits about a God who loved them and then he demonstrated that very real love by going to the cross and dying for their sins so that they might have a relationship with their heavenly Father, so that they might be in the body of Christ that's what it costs for us to be in the body of Christ so serve play your part in verses 28 to 30 Paul does lift different gifts and and an order of listing but in verse 31 he finishes phenomenally eagerly desire the greater gifts and yet I will show you the most excellent way The greater gifts, the most excellent way, love. Love is what he will speak about in the next chapter. Love is what drew me into his family. Love is what took Christ to the cross. Love is what we are to show one another. The gifts that we are given shine most brightly when we use them in a loving way towards others. In closing, I want to say, sometimes I I, I hear people and they say, I don't need to involve myself in the fellowship of church. I'm fine with sporadic attendance. Uh, I'm too busy for a growth group. I'm too busy to be part of serving in the church. And, And I know there are seasons we're making it to church, is as good as it gets. And if that's the season you're in, then I say, well done. Praise God that you're here today, eh? How good is it that you are here? But for others, I need to speak more strongly. I stand before you today utterly convinced that the the perspective that someone can be a part-time Christian and just dive into church now and then and duck out, stands in direct contradiction to what we've heard from God's Word today. Surely, like me, you have seen this morning that that being part of God's church is more than arriving here for an hour and a half a week. We can't journey alone on this path, brothers and sisters. We need one another. I need you as much as you need me. Imagine, for a moment, a symphony without the various instruments to, to, to work together in harmony. Or imagine a, a beautiful garden without a diversity of flowers that blossom side by side. That's us as believers. We are designed to complement and support one another. We are having shared experiences. We have struggles. We have triumphs. We have joys. We have challenges. We are there to strengthen and encourage one another as we remind each other of the great gospel truths. We are the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears of Christ to one another and to a broken world. And how can we hear each other if some of us aren't here? So brothers and sisters, I invite you to embrace that interconnectedness. Let's, let's seize every opportunity to be present in the life of the church and, and in the lives of our brothers and sisters and let's celebrate our interdependence. Let's celebrate that joy of being called to be in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. I thank you that he has seen fit to distribute a variety of gifts amongst us so that we might serve the common good. Father, even today, please encourage us to step into that, that privileged position of serving your people, a position that was won at such a cost by your Son and our Saviour as he gave his life for each one of us. And Father, for any rifts that exist within the body of Christ here at the lakes, Father, we pray that the Spirit's peace and reconciliation will be at work in our hearts and in our minds. And Father, help us to seek connection and to please build interdependence amongst us as we wait Christ's return. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.